so much great Advertising Week content, so little time. Snackable AI is now helping you navigate podcasts like this one, event sessions, and other content with chapters, topic tags, and more. Find the insights that matter to you faster than ever before. Learn more at snackable.ai. In this session from Advertising Week New York, marketer, storyteller, and laugh-out-loud president and chief operating officer Ty Randolph is joined by Uniworld Group Chair and Chief Operating Officer Monique Nelson for a conversation about the growing economic evolution that is young, bright, and in color. Ty and Monique dive into the changing face of multicultural marketing and discuss the need for companies to embrace a diverse by design strategy, creating a future-facing organization and authentic brands that move at the speed of culture. Good morning. Thanks for joining the early crew. That's right. <laughs> it's 8 a.m. Hudson Yards. Um, so excited to be here. My name is Ty Randolph. I'm not going to hit my chest again. Um, I am the president and COO of uh, two companies in Kevin Hart's portfolio, Laugh Out Loud and uh, Heartbeat Productions. Both are focused on creating entertainment at the intersection of uh, comedy and culture. I am also the co-founder of uh, a modern media company called Sugarberry with my partner, uh, actress uh, and producer Tika Sumter. And we're really focused on um, representing and supporting uh, modern women of color, particularly black and brown moms. And I am delighted to be joined today uh, by Monique Nelson, who is the CEO and chair of Uniworld Group which is a full-service advertising agency and I believe the longest-standing multicultural. 52 years. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you, thank you. Um, and today we are going to talk about something that Advertising Week, the folks at Advertising Week and I have been in discussion about for some time. And um, it's what we've been calling the inclusion revolution. Uh, and it's really this evolution in economics and the broader economy that's being driven by rapidly changing um, uh, demographic composition, right? And I couldn't be joined by someone who's a better expert in the field. You've been at this work for a while, right? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> it's um, it's uh, been a generation's work. Uh, we were founded in 1969, you know, in the, what I would say the first civil rights movement and certainly in the last 18 months. We have certainly seen the second big wave, I would say, of change and this certainly this inclusion revolution. So, yeah, just a you know quick snapshot on some some demographic numbers, right? Twenty between 2020 and 2030, just in the U.S., 90% of the growth is going to come from three communities: Asian, Hispanic, Latinx, and Black African American. That is the fastest growing group. And we're not even talking about intersectionality, right? And what that means and the fact that people will intermarry and there'll be all of these other categories. So I think it's just super important that we be laser focused on what's coming next. That's the perfect opening because I think we have put multicultural into this box. It's how do we check the minority box? How do we earmark a couple dollars here? But by the year 2040 in the US, those groups that you talked about, those collective minorities will become the majority. That's right. 
And I think we're all a bit late to the game in figuring out how to embrace um, you know, audiences that think and look very differently than the folks who we've been, been serving before. So often when we talk about you know, multicultural marketing or inclusion, it's thought of as this sort of like you know, force for good. It's a kind of patting you on the head. It's the right thing to do. But it's actually critical to future-proofing businesses. How, how do you talk to your clients about the intersection of culture and commerce and what that means for their bottom line? Sure. I mean, we, we talk to them about what we say is DROI. There is a return on investment on diversity. Right? And that can be quantified. It can be monetized. And you should. And we should look at it as a growth opportunity. Because to be brutally honest, every 18-year-old since 2020, that population is already majority minority, if that's what we you know, want to talk about. They are the fastest growing group. So if you are thinking about your business long term, then you have to think about the changing demographics. And ultimately, what does that mean for your business? Right. Are you ready for this new consumer? Have you engaged them in a conversation to have input on what's happening with your product, your content, um, and most certainly your commerce? Where are they buying? How are they buying? And are they doing it a little differently than we are? Probably. Well, to that point, the psychographics are different, right? Like, there is this more values-driven sort of ideology. Um, you know, when millennials and when younger millennials are polled, they're 70% more likely to choose a brand. When choosing between two brands, they will choose the one who um, has demonstrated diversity and inclusion in their communications and the composition of their company. What's behind that? What, what shifted in the thinking? Why does it matter to this audience? Well, I mean, there's been a huge, you know, it's like the, the light has shined, and now is the audio actually matching the video, right? And you can see that now. We can dig underneath and figure out whether or not you just put that black box up yeah, just yeah. to say you were with us, yeah. or did you put the black box up and then do stuff, right? And we're really asking you to put strategic actions in place to actually do something meaningful. You know, just to go back to your comment a little bit before, this is not charity, yeah. right? These communities aren't charity. They are truly, you know, participating in commerce. They're com com they are communicating, they are living in community, and ultimately it's our job and actually our responsibility right. to speak to them in a way that is authentic and most certainly um, empowering to them. And we've, we've heard that talk track, right? Brands have acknowledged it. You know, media buying and planning agencies have acknowledged it. Many have made commitments. Yet, um, and we'll take you know, a, a topic that's close to home, you know, running a couple of black-owned media companies. We're increasingly hearing, and there was you know, a ton said, and, and Byron Allen kind of led the charge with this, about the lagging and sluggish investment in black-owned media companies, right? Um, you know, African Americans in this country represent 13% of the population. Black-owned media companies get about 2% of the media investment still, yeah. right? Where, what's, where's the dissonance? What's the, what's the disconnect? Well, I mean, the, the disconnect is really around just sheer numbers of black publishers, right? There's a lot of money in the marketplace, but there's not a ton of places to put it. Yeah. Um, and you said a really key word that I don't think folks have really you know, taken to heart, and that's investment. A lot of publishers in the past, in the present, and most certainly in the future, will need investment. Yeah. 
And you have to know that black publishing, up until probably this last 18 months, has had very, if not any, investment from this community. Yeah. So no surprise that yeah. now the money's here and there's not enough places to put it because there was no investment yeah. in these black publishers and what they could do. Right. And I see things like a Snapchat, I see things like a Facebook, right, that got tons of investment with no proof points. Right, right. right? So of course they're able to thrive because somebody believed in them, right? A brand decided to invest in them and say, hey, I'm ready to take you on this journey and make you great because I believe in your idea. And that's what has to now happen in black publishing, right? Let's be honest, BIPOC publishing across the board, yeah. not just black, but you're struggling the same way on the Latin side as well as the Asian side. So there's lots of opportunity for our brands to really come in and partner. Yeah. And when I say partner, some investment and media, right? Let's grow with them and make them successful as we have with everything else. And to be open to different types of, um, sort of composing media campaigns and buys differently, right? right? Structuring those relationships in a way that actually afford for scale over time. Right. Um, you know, it's really interesting the way that we're structured on the Laugh Out Loud side is that, you know, we talk about ourselves as a modern, you know, entertainment company. And our distribution, yeah, we have owned and operated properties, but a lot of it's the, our fast channels where we're distributed across places like Pluto and Tubi. Um, there's a huge social footprint in reach. Um, I'm on the board of uh, LL Cool J's Rock the Bells um, organization, another modern media company. They have this huge um, icon network of all of these hip hop influencers who together have hundreds of millions of followers across social. Um, and there are ways that you can tap into them to reach the audience, their audiences. But those aren't necessarily traditionally composed sort of like spots and dots media plans. However, the impact and measurement when these come, when you partner with them, there's real ROI from a brand lift, from a brand perception perspective. And I think the, the challenge sometimes is that when you talk multicultural, right, or if it's a BIPOC-owned entity, the thought is or the conversion is that then they're only reaching their segment of the community. Right. When it's so bizarre that, that these creators, these publishers are influencing culture in mass. Can you talk about the mainstream influence and reach a bit of multicultural creators and, and, and publishers um, and, and even agencies? Yeah, well, I mean, there's no way we could have hip hop globally if it was just black people. So right. that's impossible. Right, so we know that culture moves, culture evolves, culture does adapt and change, and that's what it's about, right? Like at the end of the day, are you following the people that are moving the culture? Yeah. And that is sometimes in a niche space, but when I look at a BET, there's no way that the BET Awards get those numbers just with black people. Yeah. It's impossible. Right. Right. So there are others that are very interested in black culture. Yeah. Right. And will be more than happy to support black culture. So I think we need to just get a little more imaginative. I think we need to open the aperture a bit and be more thoughtful about lifestyle. Yeah. Right. And let's not convolute that with it not being authentic. Right. You can have both. Yeah. And to your point, let's get creative around what, what is that metric, right? It may not be a, a click anymore. It may not be a return on your CPM. It may be how many people actually bought your product because we can do that now, 
You can click that button. You can go direct from Instagram to that brand and know that you have connected with the right person in the right place with the right message. And that's really the key to this. And it's very disruptive time, and I'm super excited about it because we can track that ROI straight to, hey, we know we did the right thing. So in cases when the measurement is there, the reach is there, I do think one of the barriers to entry sometimes can be how do I communicate authentically, right? It's what step to take first. Because we also know that brands can be held hostage a bit when they get it wrong. It's, 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 it's us territory. What advice do you give your clients or what sort of process do you take them through when they're trying to reach an audience, right? When they're trying to resonate, they want to sound real, right? They don't want to be performative. What does that look like? Well, we always want to make sure that the insight is so spot on to what the values of the, of the brand are trying to deliver, right? Those things have to match up. I think I talked a little bit earlier about the audio matching the video. We do that all the time. We want to make sure that what we're saying and what the brand is actually delivering matches because that's really, you can, you can tell, you know when somebody's lying to you. <laughs> you know when it's not real. And this consumer is extremely savvy. Um, with respect to how they get um, the information and then ultimately who's delivering the information, right? We're spending quite a bit of time in the pharma space and as you can imagine, um, for certain populations and certain communities, a doctor showing up is probably the last thing you want to do, right? So we've been telling a lot of our pharma clients, hey, let's pull back on that. Let's talk about introducing you to this community in a way that they will receive your message. Let's talk about the doctor intervention a little later, yeah. right? Yeah. Let's talk about bringing that clinical information once they're comfortable with you being a trusted source. Yeah. And that's with anything. You want to know that who you're working with is trusted, and I think the younger generations are really ensuring that if I'm going to give you my money yeah. and my time, right. you owe me. Right. You have to earn it. Big part of doing that, right? Preparing yourself to be willing to earn it. You know, we talk a lot about diversity and inclusion, but I've been saying lately it's important for us to design reflective communications, to build reflective organizations. So companies that look like the, the consumers that we're serving, right? Like, you know, brand managers that look like or can identify with the folks who the, who's consuming the brand. And you know, as someone who's been occupying the C-suite for a while, right, who sort of is making the rules in your own organization, what advice would you give to other leaders on creating truly reflective organizations, truly representative organizations, um, when depending on the size and the scale of your company, that may not, it, it may be hard to, to flip the switch on that. What's the process? The first, the first part of the process is to be intentional about what you're trying to do. Don't diversify just to diversify because that person is going to come in or people um, will come in the front door and run out the back because you haven't really created a culture of belonging, right? Or a culture that makes sense. So I oftentimes tell folks to just stop. Don't just hire the black or the brown or the woman just because. Um, let's be intentional about what that means to your organization. Who are you trying to connect with? And let's be very clear, just because someone's a person of color does not necessarily make them a maverick or a DEI specialist. That part. Oh, God. Please. <laughs> Do not just hire a black person to be your DEI person. Um, or ask the only black person right. to be your DEI person. Um, it is a job. It is something that people have trained for for a long time. They have gone to school. Yes. Um, and you should find them. 
and make sure that they are right for your organization. So we've been doing a lot of shortcutting uh, as of late. And unfortunately, it, it cuts both ways, right? If you do it incorrectly, then people then throw their hands up and say, see, we tried. Yeah. Didn't work. Yeah. Right? But if you're really intentional about what your organization is trying to deliver, what is the purpose of your organization? And then how does diversity bring something new and exciting to your organization? Right? We believe that ultimately you're looking for innovation. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And diversity, we know when we put diverse voices around a table, you're going to get an elegant solution. Mm. Right? Because you're going to get all these points of view and they're going to be amazing, right? Yeah. People are going to see things that you wouldn't. Yes. Right? They're going to poke holes in things that you wouldn't. Yeah. And then they're going to give you an idea that's going to be groundbreaking. Right. Right? And epic. And that's what you want. It's hard to manage though. Yeah. Right? So a lot of times people say, yeah, I want a diverse team. But then you've got to manage those diverse personalities, yes. right? And you've got to. So that's why it is a. Thing, right? DEI is a process. Organizational development and effectiveness yeah. is a process. And you can't shy away from the fact that at the end of the day, you're still going still to do a forming, a storming, a performing. Yeah. All of that has to happen and it has to be managed. So just know we're in a transformative time and your organizations will have to change both internally and externally to meet the needs of this consumer. And I, I love that you talked about intentionality and this idea that the belonging piece has to be there. Um, you know, I, I think sometimes we don't consider the tapestry of our companies, right? And like what it feels like once you're in the door. If you don't see yourself reflective once you're there, or if you don't see an ongoing effort, right? Like, and, or if your ideas aren't accept it. This is as big as sort of, you know, sort of ethnic and racial and gender diversity. Diversity of thought is critically important. Huge. And I think it's those those skills that make and, and that way of seeing the world that makes this this generation very different, right? Like we are living in a global reality, right? Where we've all experienced this pandemic collectively, where we all understand the interdependency, um, not just on each other, but on sort of like global markets and how they all interplay together. And so I think it would be unfortunate for us to think that we're returning to business as usual. And we talk about that a lot in terms of, you know, what are the hours gonna be? What's the remote working? But I think it's a different way of communicating, right? and understanding the nuances of the audiences that we're serving. And some folks have been at this longer than others. Who are some of the brands that you think are getting it right? Who are some of the businesses um, that we could point to as, as models or you know, sort of even examples at the campaign level? Sure. That well, I have to say I'm biased to a few, but um, I'm always so excited for Geico. I mean, Scoop, there it is, had me at Hello. Right? Like, I was done. And I mean, I emailed the, the creative director and was just like, you're so awesome. Um, because it was so in culture, yet so accessible, yeah. right, to everyone else, right? That's when you know it's really great work, right? Like, the person that it's for, yes, I'm a you know, 70s baby, so I totally remember that. And, you know, but everyone else truly enjoyed it, yeah. right? So I love that. Um, from a purpose-driven brand perspective, I am, you know, obsessed with Ben and Jerry's, right? Consistent, always been about social justice. We're standing up for those that are not able to stand up for themselves. Um, they are always been there. They're in the forefront. They don't mind when it's against everything else. Every brand can't be that. Um, but I do have to shout out Unilever for just 
saying purpose or nothing, right? If we don't stand for anything, that brand won't be here, right? If the brand doesn't have a real purpose and a grounding, it can't be a part of our portfolio. So I think that's a wonderful kind of like, hey, here are our gates. You know, these are the, the, the guardrails we're gonna put in place. Um, and then uh, the last one I'll talk about is, is Frito-Lay. I'm really proud of the work that we've done with them um, on Solid Black with Doritos, you know, really shining a light on small black and brown businesses. As you can imagine, the pandemic really um, devastated uh, black and brown businesses in a way that probably will not be recoverable. 440,000 black businesses closed. Wow. And they probably won't come back. So. I am you know, on a singular mission <laughs> to figure out how we build that back up because of course, small business, most people work for small businesses, right? We in this room, we're in advertising and work with these huge brands. There's only 1,900 brands in the world. Most people work for small businesses. Right. And that means for our communities to survive and thrive, we must have many more of them so that people have an on-ramp and they have a place to be and the communities can actually thrive. If you can't walk around the corner and get a cup of coffee or you know, get a, a, a nice outfit or you know, some place to actually be and, and go and work your first job, um, that community dies. And that's a, you've highlighted a, a great investment opportunity for brands. That's a great opportunity to invest in initiatives like that to support businesses that let the consumers know that you're living your values. Because of all the brands that you mentioned, I think if we're dealing with a very values-driven um, you know, consumer base, then it's important that brands who serve them first be values-driven, right? Like there's all sorts of performative things that we can do, but the authenticity means that it come from somewhere, right? Like we say at Laugh Out Loud that we exist to keep the world laughing together. And it helps ground you when you're doing, when, when day to day maybe you're distributing jokes on the internet or you're delivering stand-up specials to Netflix or you know, you're making a show like Cold as Balls with athletes and ice tubs, but it's like, what's the, what's the point, right? right? And the point is that there is a social and a personal and an emotional benefit to laughter, right? And even if it's athletes and ice tubs on YouTube, there's something about shared interest that brings us together that sort of like melts some of the divisiveness between us um, and allows us to have a shared moment of commonality because that's where collaboration, that's where empathy um, you know, can, can come from. And I think that's the mandate, right, that, that, that consumers are now you know, holding us accountable to. As the quote unquote mainstream, right, becomes uh, more diverse, right? So we said, you know, people of color are already the global majority, people of color becoming the American majority. Um, how does that change the role of the multicultural marketing agency and the work that you do? How do you think about that path forward? Well, I mean, honestly, that means every agency better become a multicultural agency, right? Now, that doesn't mean they're the same, right? When we think of general market agencies, nobody goes, oh, well, that Ogilvy and that, you know, Widen or that, those are like exactly the same. Yeah. No, they never do that, right? There's always room for multiple lanes. Yeah. Unfortunately, multicultural has always been singularly laned. Mm. Yeah. And I really love this opportunity now to talk about the fact that we can broaden what that means and that everyone can have their own lane as they do now, yeah. right? Every agency has something they do really well. Yeah. 
right? Regardless of who they're talking to, either you're a direct-to-consumer, you're B2B, you're retail, you're you know, e-commerce, right? I mean, we have specialization. But with that, you must become more savvy against the end consumer, regardless of what you do every day. Now, someone may say, you know what? I really only still want to talk to white people. And that's awesome. <laughs> but that would be your choice, right? And that would be diminishing returns, right. depending on what you're doing. So you're allowed to make any choice you like. Mm. But my gut would say everyone should be getting in this multicultural game. Yep. We're here to help. We, do. we come in and we even consult agencies on how to become better because you do need to become better. And no, we can't take it all. And that's not the point. The point is doing amazing work against the consumers that exist today and most certainly tomorrow. Monique, you are brilliant. I could talk to you all day. We've got a minute and 13 seconds left. Speaking of the end consumer, what do you see in the future? What are the trends? What are you expecting to happen? What do you see happening in the market? Um, funny enough, I see in-person coming back in a way that is going to be so meaningful as we are here today. I think over time, we are going to head into a new normal. Um, I'm really happy people started talk, stopped talking about going back. Yes. There is no going back. I told Ty in the back, I said, I'm never getting on the road like I did before. Um, it was insane. And I'm so excited for meaningful experiences. Yeah. And I think people are craving that. I think the digital revolution has only begun. Mm -hmm. um, the metaverse is coming. Yeah. Uh, and I think we all should be really kind of freaked out and excited <laughs> at the same time. Um, but you know, it's, it's real and it's coming and we're gonna be able to be in places virtually, AI, uh, VR, it's just endless. I'm a tech geek too, so I'm really excited about it, but I'm also really, really concerned that if we don't have the right inputs, we're gonna get the same yucky outputs. So yeah. um, just excited about making sure that DEI is at the the forefront of most things. They just talk, I just saw a story this morning on Tesla that said they might run over black people because they haven't trained the AI to see us. So. Real, real biases in technology. That's a whole other conversation. A whole different conversation. That's a whole different panel. Monique, but. thank you so much. Thank this you. was such a pleasure. And thank you guys for joining us. We appreciate it. Thanks for listening. For more content like this and to learn more about Advertising Week's world-leading events for the advertising, marketing, and technology industries, visit www.advertisingweek.com. Chaptering and other structural elements for this podcast are powered by Snackable AI. With the ability to unify all content in one place, have AI distill the best insights instantaneously, and share them seamlessly, businesses on Snackable create more relevant value for their audiences faster than ever before. Learn more at snackable.ai.